Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the All Terrain podcast. I am joined once again by Alexander John Shire. Alexander John, thank you so much for joining us. Matt, it's truly an honour. Uh, where are you in the world right now? Because I'm in my spare bedroom uh, up against the load of uh, soft furnishings to stop the echo. Where are you? I am in a little monk cell in a retreat center in Spain. I'm in the northwest corner of Spain or sort of northwest corner of Spain. And uh, people think of Spain as, as warm and dry and Mediterranean. Uh, I'm looking out the window at snow. I'm oh, in wow. the foothills, at the foothills of the mountains. Oh, that's incredible. I, I came here to lead an Easter retreat, which now no one can get here, but we're going to lead the retreat with uh, the small group of people who work here at the retreat center. Oh, wow. I know that you were in the UK. You were in the UK to actually do some work for the Salvation Army, weren't you? I was. I was going to do a week of work mm. and very suddenly it changed as, it, as our life has changed for all of us. Mm. Immediately, I flew to Spain. And if I had not flown to Spain on the day that I flew, I would not be here. Thank you so much for being with us. We, we wanted to do this special episode because for us on the Alterian podcast, one of the things we are trying to help people understand is this journey of quadratos, these four questions that really speak into what we would say and what you would say is all seasons. And this is a really strange season. So I guess for us, it's about trying to figure out how those questions and how the things we're learning on that journey can apply specifically to a time like this, which none of us have ever experienced or could have predicted. But I'm trying not to say unprecedented because it feels both overused and somehow underwhelming. But in this bizarre season we're in, those four questions. So that's what we're going to talk about, if that's okay with you. Please. So the first question on the journey of Quadratos is how do we face change? But I guess what I want to ask is, how do we face change when everything has changed? I mean, Matt, I, I've been sitting here in this quiet, protected space. Although we cannot go outside of our doors, the police are keeping us from even walking outside the door. And wow. yesterday, the streets were sprayed down with bleach. Wow. Um, and I've been reflecting on, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s. I have never experienced a moment like this in my life. And what I'm realizing is that this is affecting every human on the planet at once. It's, we can't just say it's over there. It's here. It's at the door of every house across this planet. Yeah. And this really is the first path the first spiritual question, how we face change, because what the Gospel of Matthew says to us is that the invitation to change arrives suddenly and unexpectedly right in the middle of our ordinary everyday life. Wow. And that is so much the question of the first spiritual path for all of us. How could this have happened? Five minutes ago, my life had some sense of normalcy and ordinariness and planning to it. Mm. And now everything is disrupted. And one of the things that, that we often don't realize is when we open the Gospel of Matthew and we read that beautiful story of the nativity of Jesus the Christ, that we realize that the text in Matthew talks about that birth happening seemingly in Mary and Joseph's home in Bethlehem. Mm. There, there's no journey 
to Bethlehem in, in, in that gospel. And that is so much where all of us are. Mary and Joseph are home. Hmm. And this totally unexpected and somewhat unwelcome event happens to them. Yes. As we know that Mary discovers that she is with child. How could this happen? How could this happen? And this is how the first spiritual path arrives for us. And I've just put up a small meme on, on Facebook this morning because each gospel has got a signature line in it, mm. which sort of summarizes the whole impact of that gospel as a spiritual practice. And the, the line in Matthew is very late in the gospel, and it's Jesus and the disciples have been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to the disciples, awake, arise, look, the betrayer is at hand. And I, I don't like to use any particular personality or name for the betrayer, because mm. in this gospel, it's really not about a person. Mm. It's about something that all of us are going to deal with. And it's the shock of the first path. Mm. And, and the betrayer comes to Jesus, and the text says, comes up to Jesus and kisses Jesus. Mm. And I, first of all, I, are we willing to allow this moment to kiss us? Mm. And then in one of the most stunning lines of the entire four Gospels, Jesus' response is, having just named that this moment is about a betrayal, Jesus says to the betrayal, friend, friend, do what you have come here to do. And this is the hardest thing. There, there's nothing in my small self that wants to do this. I'm here that, I mean, I, I can say these words quite easily, but to live them and to pray them is, is a whole different order. But the Christ is asking us to receive this moment. This is not the, I don't like the virus. God is not asking me to like the virus. God is not asking me to agree to the virus. What the Christ is asking me to do is to receive the inner work of this moment. Mm. To receive the reality that our lives have changed. Our patterns have changed. Our ordinary routines have changed. We, for a while, can't freely go outside of our homes. Our sense of isolation and loneliness has increased. The anxiety and the fear is palpable. Mm. And what the Christ is saying, can we say to all of that, friend, do what you have come to do with me? Mm. Which means... Can we let all of those difficulties live in a way that the Christ will use to help us grow in our spiritual journey? Not, not to sit in them, mm. not to say, okay, this is all there is, but to say, this is what is in this moment, but I can move through this. I can move through this to greater freedom and a greater love. 
I'm going to do what I did last time, which I hope is okay. I'm going to read your words to you quite a bit. There's this point in the book where you say, nonetheless, at some point, even rocks crumble. All of us come to the experience of enormous loss. Whatever it is that we believed would stand forever trembles and falls. Dark chasms and precipices appear with the suddenness and drama of a volcanic eruption. It is precisely at this point that we find ourselves standing on the first path, barefoot and covered in ashes. Oh, yes. And I guess right now, those rocks that have crumbled, we talked before about the temples that have come down, those things we believed would stand forever are essentially normal life. We thought normal life would be normal life forever. And now we find ourselves, and I love it, the, the suddenness and drama of a volcanic eruption, and now we find ourselves barefoot and covered in ashes. And that, I think, is an experience many of us, whatever, however this has affected us, whether, you know, we, there will be people listening to this who will have lost loved ones because of this virus. Oh. And there will be people who, like myself, who have been mildly inconvenienced by this virus. That is the spectrum of where we are at. But for all of us, this experience of normal life coming to an end so abruptly, it just leaves us, I don't know there's better words than barefoot and covered in ashes. You have, you have me in tears. Um, and I'm so worried about a member of my family who is elderly and not in good health and may have been exposed. Yeah. Um, but yes, everything in the twinkling of an eye. Mm. Um, I get on and off planes like, like eating my favorite thing was a chocolate chip cookie. Mm. Uh, I can't make a plane reservation. I can't mm. move. I can't even go outside my door. Yeah. And I'm concerned about all my friends and family. Yeah. And yes, and and we don't know when it's going to return to, quote unquote, what we used to have. Yeah. And it never returned to what we used to have. Yeah. When we talk about these things, and, and when we've talked about this before, one of the things we talk about is what this experience is going to teach us. And some of that is about what we want to do, uh, who we want to become. But some of it is actually about who we are at our very core, which I think is fascinating because you have this quote in the book from John O'Donoghue, which says, the heart of human identity is the capacity and desire for birthing. To be is to become creative and bring forth the beautiful. Yeah. Does that get heightened in a season like this? It, that's my experience, that if we allow ourselves to, to be quote-unquote, broken open, mm. that part of that is um, that we will find some creative flow. That, mm. that, may be, that may be sitting with pen and paper writing, that may be doodling, it may be drawing circles, but this moment is about creating something that's never existed before. Wow. This moment we've never seen anything the likes of before is about creating something we've never seen before. Right. And I remember many, many, many years ago, if you know the old movie Midnight Express of the, the, the young man who was uh, thrown into a prison in Turkey for false charges on, that he was carrying drugs and he wasn't. He's in this prison and one of the inmates says to him, for the time that you're here, you can make this a prison or you can make this a monastery. The choice is yours. And I think our willingness to look for the creative as we are in this lockdown is the choice to choose to make this a monastery. 
tell me more about that, what that means, because I guess for some people, our idea of a monastery, if we're not from a monastic tradition, might be quite caricatured in a way. It might not be necessarily the fullness of that. So when you say monastery, you're, you're not, you know, we're not talking about bells and monks and brown cloaks. What, what, what does that monastery mean? What does that mean when you say that? For me, it's, it's going to that place where I restrict my outer movement to find the creative in the inner life. Mm. I'm an introvert and that may be a more easy exercise for me, but I do believe that through the internet and through the way that we are in a place with less movement, we can now discover an inner flow of creativity. Mm. What a huge challenge. Yes, and, and we have the time to meet it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, no excuses, much. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm also remembering that I used to, many decades ago. I used to do these workshops about how to uh, how to lessen the stress sometimes of Christmas and the holiday season. Mm. And and what I remember is so many times parents feel like they have to produce the perfect Christmas. Yeah, leaves their children feeling more lonely. Yeah. That. Children would rather be in the kitchen in the mess of cooking and making cookies, et cetera, with you that don't turn out so perfectly. Yep. Then you just spend all that time making it perfect to give them something. Yep. That this is the time to be messy with each other. Yeah, I love that. What and what a huge challenge to those of us that suffer from perfectionism as well, right? Like I know nothing about that. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's just a huge challenge, isn't it? It's a huge challenge to all of us. It's a huge challenge to people who run churches who are so used to being able to have the screen do the right thing and have the people around and have. All of a sudden, we're seeing people having to get incredibly. uh, you know, quote unquote, creative, but to get really creative about what they're doing with their gatherings, because actually we don't have a choice. Something has changed dramatically. And so that means we have to do something remarkably new. I wanna move on to the second question because the second question that we ask is how do we move through suffering? And I guess for me, the, the extension of that question for this is how do we move through suffering when suffering is just all around us? Like you said at the start, it's every door of every house in every nation on the planet. How do right. we do that? Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm talking to you and the people who I assume are listening have some spiritual practice and some experience of the Christ. Hmm. Because without that, I don't know how we move through this. The, the signature passage in the Gospel of Mark, which gives us this question about how do we move through suffering, is Jesus and the disciples crossing the lake, the, the first mm, crossing passage. Yeah. And what I like to remember, and it, we, it sort of dropped out of our memory about, about Israel first century and the Jewish people first century, is, is that that lake was a cemetery. And that Jews were actually phobic about the water of that lake because the storms on that lake come up so suddenly. And so many people drowned in that sea. So when Jesus instructs the disciples to get into a boat 
at night, mm. I can hear my Arabic grandmother, and there was a phrase that I won't say on air, but it's like, are you crazy? Is the, <laughs> the civil way of saying that. Mm. You want me to get in a boat at night and mm. go out on that sea? You know, I go out on that sea during the day trembling yeah. because I know of the ferocity of the storms, but at nighttime? And Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to get in the boat with me at night. And of course, they go out and the storm hits. Mm. And you almost believe that, and I do believe that Jesus knew that the storm, he knew that he was sending us in a boat at night into the storm. And, and the text says, Jesus is at the back of the boat. And anybody who knows boats and, and storms, in a storm, you want to be in the back of the boat because it's the part of the boat that rocks the least. And then the story tells us that Jesus is asleep. Well, isn't this great? We're in the storm at night and our God is asleep in the safest part of the boat. And then to make it even worse, the story recounts to us that he's got his head on a pillow. Well, how many of us feel this right now? We're in this storm and our God is resting comfortably asleep. Mm. wake up and do something. That's essentially what Peter cries out. Do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus wakes up and Jesus speaks to the outer storm and stills it. Mm. But then Jesus says to the disciples, where is your faith? Because the, the deeper reality of our presence with the Christ is not the Christ stilling the outer storm, but Christ stilling the inner storm. And when the inner storm is stilled, it doesn't mean the outer circumstances are going to immediately change, mm -hmm. but it means that we're going to be given the resources to deal with it. So that the message of the second path is not comfortable. Mm -hmm. It is when the storm rages, and I love that beautiful Taze chant, peace, be still, the storm rages, peace, be still, mm. that there is in the presence of the Christ a place inside of us that can be rock solid still. Mm. And this is the moment that we pray and pray and pray for that grace to arrive for us. I, I wonder, for me, one of the challenges in this season, I guess, has been this sense amongst people of faith that at times we feel quite torn in what we do and how we respond. Do you pray for the virus to end? Absolutely. Um, there, there are two sides to the Gospel of Mark, and I, I think of it almost like the the wisdom of the serenity prayer from 12 steps. But the first eight chapters of the gospel of Mark give us this, this story, story after story after story of Jesus acting to still the storm, of Jesus raising, uh, curing Peter's mother-in-law, raising Jairus's daughter mm. over and over, over again. And the word in the text is immediately, Jesus acts immediately, immediately, immediately. And Jesus is teaching us the first half of the gospel is 
that easy part, pray to God that this end, pray to God that this moment changes. But then starting in the eighth chapter of Mark comes the second lesson, the more difficult side, mm. which is to pray your will be done in your time it will be done. That there is a level of suffering that Jesus suffers with us. Mm. Don't know why some suffering can't be alleviated in the way that it does in the first eight chapters of Mark. Yeah. But in the second half of the gospel, Jesus shows us that Jesus is with us in the suffering. There's a moment when you say in the book, we need to find our angels and send them out to join our shepherds. The angels need the deep grounding base of the intellectual self and the shepherds need the soprano tones of hope. Together, they can sound a holy chorus. I love that. <laughs> I, I take no credit for any of that other than I remember sitting for hours and days and almost years at the computer and that, mm. that came from somewhere. Mm. But it is so true that we need to reach for the shepherds, which in the scriptures are the half-starved part of ourselves that are so much in need that they can't think about other people. Yeah. And the angels that surround us, yeah. that can raise us to our best self. And I think for me, that, that speaks back to some of the creativity you were talking about when it comes to fishing change. Because actually, I guess one of the, really interesting things about this season when we can't gather in our normal kind of worship tribes as such is that there is an opportunity to experience all sorts of new and and different things there's there's opportunities to attend masses that we would never attend there's opportunities to kind of be part of the type of church services we would never be part of to join with other uh, brothers and sisters in other ways all over the world i, I think that's a really interesting thing because for those of us who find ourselves perhaps more in that sense of uh, pragmatism or our faith is quite practical or our faith is kind of, uh, you know, the, the grinding base of the intellectual self that you talk about with the shepherds. For those of us in that place, this is a moment to go and find our angels, to find another tone, to find another sound, to find another expression and to see if it brings us something new. There's this amazing opportunity to see how else the worship of others can speak to us in ways that we would perhaps never have led it before. It, it's so true. And here I am, I came to Spain to lead a, a week-long Easter retreat, which can't really happen for the people here. So now we're going to do it online, mm. which is something I would, would, and now, I mean, literally people from Australia to the United States to California yeah. are, are going to be tuning into this prayer mm. that I was just going to offer for a small group. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Personally, for me, I, one of the things I find really interesting is I have found myself in this last number of weeks immensely drawn to uh, to gospel music. And I think for me, one of the things that I am learning about myself and, and I'm discovering in that is that perhaps the songs of comfort are bringing me very little comfort right now, whereas the songs yeah. of exile are moving me in a way that perhaps I've never allowed space for before. I mean, I grew up, in the U.S. South and the state of Alabama in a time when it was very difficult. Mm. Um, when, I mean, civil rights was something that happened right outside my window. Mm. And my comfort 
was going to black revival meetings mm. and that gospel music yeah. which is born of such suffering yeah and yet knows a jubilation yes yeah i mean this takes us right into the next question so i don't even need to do my segue because this takes us right into joy right this takes us into joy which is how do we receive joy when joy feels so far away the songs of exile show us how to do that don't they and they remind us that the circumstances of our suffering cannot also prescribe the boundaries of our joy go on give us that one again i'm going to need that again the prescription of our suffering can't um, circumvent or can't stop our joy. Wow. That, there, that there's a type of joy that lives with the suffering. They, they, they are, you know, the, one of my favorite words in English is bittersweet. Mm. Um, because that is so true about almost every human experience, which is bittersweet. Yeah. And to not let our suffering drown out the tonality of joy. Yeah. There's a, a scripture I would really, I, I want to invite us to, I want us to stretch ourselves with this. Mm. It comes from John. And I know that for many churches, especially the high ritual churches on what we call Good Friday, they are going to read or they are supposed to be reading the Passion of John. I hope they are reading the Passion of John, but they're, but most churches are not understanding this Passion because this is a passion of jubilation. And without the other three, which show the passion of anguish, you would not be able to understand the passion of jubilation. But on the cross, when Jesus is dying in John, it says that the bitter wine is put up to his lips. And if you, if you read the text of the other three passions, you know Jesus doesn't take it. Mm. Uh, Jesus turns his head or, or, or does it, does it in John, Jesus drinks the bitterness. Mm. And this is the whole power of that in, in the Christ, we have the ability to drink the sorrow, to drink the bitterness and to transmute it into something that is joyful, beautiful, salvific of service. And one of the things that, that the Roman Catholic Church, and I like to give my tradition a little bit of credit occasionally, it's, it's, got, its, it, it, it's got its wounds, but every once in a while it, it, it holds to something so true. And that is the Roman Catholic tradition is the only one which has maintained what I think of as the appropriate translation mm. in the Gospel of John when Jesus dies. And the text in the Roman Catholic translation reads, and Jesus bows his head and delivers over the spirit. Mm. That, that Jesus in drinking the world's bitterness and breathing back love and justice and compassion and beauty, that Jesus breathes out the spirit upon the world so that in this way of understanding the gospel of john that jesus's death is also the moment of pentecost but it reminds us of this spiritual practice that we tend to not do when we're in a moment of suffering yes and that in the moment of suffering we want to breathe in god's love mm -hmm. and we want to breathe out our stress well the gospel of john says there's a second spiritual practice and that is 
Can you breathe in the world's anxiety? Can you breathe in the suffering in your life? Can you breathe in the isolation? And through the power of the Christ, can you breathe out ease and harmony and justice and beauty Mm. and love and compassion? That's what's happening at this moment when Jesus is on the cross in John. And that's why it's it's the passion of jubilation. Yeah. And it's why this was the passion that all those centuries ago were chosen to be read on what we call Good Friday. Yeah. You say in the book, um, you're writing about Mary at the tomb si. and how she goes to what is essentially an empty tomb, but, but sees angels. And, and, and I find this really beautiful. We face the same choices many times daily. Our lives will largely flow from our expectations the more we are able to be present in our fullest selves to any moment or situation in our lives, the more likely we are to see angels rather than emptiness and to know how deeply we are accompanied. I love the idea that by stepping up to what others would see as an empty tomb, a place of death, a place of grief, a place of the end, by changing our expectation, we have the opportunity like Mary to look and see angels rather than emptiness. And I guess one of the, one of the challenges of taking in all that bitterness and all that suffering is like you say that, how do we end up putting out beauty and joy and uh, social justice and worship and just peace? And how do we pull those things out? Yeah. How do you raise your expectations in this season? For me, I, I, I realize that, that there's nothing in my small ego mind self that can do this. Mm. But there is a reality and a presence that is within me that mm. I can access that will help me do something which seems miraculous, mm. but actually can become quite ordinary. Mm. But it, it's not relying on my ego. Yeah. It's relying on a presence which is greater than that. Yeah. I mean, I remember in, in I used to be a, hosp- a, a hospital chaplain and once or twice a week you would sleep in the hospital and you would always get that 2 or 3 a.m. call of somebody who was in extreme pain. Mm. And you would go and you would be with them and you would pray with them. But, but what you were trying to get them to do is to do what what happens for all of us when we're in all, when we're in tremendous pain is we we get tight mm. we um we close in we hold our body uh, with tension and that i that by my presence with them and my invoking prayer with them my hope was is that they would relax a bit and when they relaxed a little bit mm. they could take an easier breath and they could feel uh, more um, the presence and less less pain yeah to take an easier breath that feels so ah wonderfully simple actually in a way doesn't it to kind of drop our shoulders to untighten our tension and just allow ourselves to take an easier breath right now but I wonder how deeply transformational that could be for some people to just, yeah. For some reason yesterday, I, I was just, I was so anxious yesterday and mm. 
I know that in part I'm picking up the world's anxiety. Mm. There's nothing obvious about my life right here in this place. Mm. I should be anxious over. Um, and then the few of us gathered for 20 minutes of quiet prayer last night. Mm. And I just felt my body relax. Mm. The sense of accompaniment yeah. and the sense of, of knowing God is here. Yeah. I don't have to carry this. We don't know what comes next after all of this. I know lots of people want to guess. I know lots of people hope that we'll go back to normal and whatever that is or whatever it was. We, we just don't know. We don't know what's next. But we do know that as followers of Christ, we are always asked to serve. And one of the questions that we always ask is, how do we mature in service? But I guess at a moment like this, how do we mature in service when so much of our service is often about other people and we can't be with them? Um, I'm asking myself that question, Matt. I don't quite know the answer. I know that for me, it was, okay, we can't do a physical retreat here. Let's do it online. Mm-hmm. As, as it's not going to offer the tactility, mm. but, but this is a way that I can reach out. So I, I keep reminding myself, we're in a place that we have never been before. Yeah. And when we are in a place that we've never been before, the old answers aren't going to work. Yes. I don't. I don't know the exact way forward. I just know that if I keep trying, and in my language, if I keep praying, that spirit will lead me. Mm. But there's an old saying about um, not knowing where where you're going, because if you know where you're going, it means you've already been there. (laughs) And you're going to end up right where you started. Yeah, yeah. We have to say to ourselves, we don't know what this is about yet. We just know that we're in a new world. Yeah. And our faithfulness to the question and to our prayer will find the right answers. Yeah. Control is a word that I've written down here a lot and I, I haven't brought up yet, but there is a, there is an interesting quote that I've just got in front of me here which says quadratos calls us to identify our own intimate pattern of exerting control and then to be vigilant in resisting this temptation. Our mature course is to affect change by the example of our lives rather than by overzealousness or by setting ourselves above others as experts, no matter how well-intended we think we are. There can be no experts in what it is like to live through this, can there? Because we've never done it. They're not, and I... I ended up calling the, the fourth uh, gospel is the story of the road because Jesus, because all the teachings in Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles are not really in villages or places. They're on the road. Yeah. I really wanted to call it the unknown landscape. Oh, yeah. Because that's what it is. It's yeah. like we landed on a planet we haven't yeah. even named yet. Yeah. And we don't know what the atmosphere is like yeah. or the soil, what can grow here, what yeah. can't grow here. Yeah. We are in a place we have never been before. I think we're going to end up calling this episode the All-Terrain Podcast, but not this one because we don't know what terrain it is yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I love that sense of we have permission now to experiment. Yeah. 
and trial and error is the only sense of safety yeah Oh yeah, do you know I loved what you said a minute ago. I'm, I'm frantically typing it on my um, on my iPad here. The old answers can't work; they just can't work. They can't. I think it's why so many things that, and again, it is trial and error. That's why there's got to be so much grace. That's why the boundaries of our grace for those who lead us, those we serve with, those who are trying, we've got the boundaries of grace have to extend. We have to allow for lots of mistakes, but we are seeing lots of mistakes because what we're often seeing is people trying to do the thing they did, but just do it on the internet. And actually we're going, that's an old answer to a completely different question. That won't work. So we're going to have to be extra ambitious. We're going to have to be extra radical. We're going to have to be extra daring in what we try next because it can't just be that we do we thing we did, but we stick a camera up in front of us rather than a couple of hundred people. Risk is the new safety. Yeah. But we can't just do something and say, well, now this is what we're going to do forever. It's like we, we offer things because we're in a process of trial and error. And it's the only way by risking trial and error over and over again will we find the new ground. Yes, you can't see it. No one can. But I am waving my hands in the air like I am willing you to keep going with that thought. Literally sitting in my spare room, waving my hands in the air at a screen because I absolutely cannot say yes enough to that statement. I cannot say yes enough. I long for people to stop doing the things they started a week or two ago because they've realized deep down it was the wrong choice. (laughs) It was just the wrong choice and it's okay. It's okay. Like the number of things I've tried and gone, oh, that's not going to work. Or the number of things we've started and we've gone, oh, that's not the way it's going to happen. But we've got to allow ourselves even more permission than before to go, oh, that was a disaster. Yes. And a a wonderful disaster. Yeah, a beautiful disaster. I mean, I have my perfectionistic tendencies. This is really, really hard for me. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. No, I, I absolutely know what you mean. This, this sense of, For me, everything is, well, let's get it right before we start. That's my job. That's literally my job is to make sure that when we go live, hit the button on that show, hit the button on whatever it is I'm working on, it has to be right from the get-go. That's my job. In this season, that cannot be my job. We have got to be willing to go, we're going to give this a go. Oh, and it just might be awful, but you know what? We're going to learn something. We're going to move on. We're going to do the next. Right. And I talk about Luke and the Acts of the Apostles my gosh, the disciples never get to arrive anywhere. If you, if you read the text, you realize there's no end point. The, 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 there's no golden place down yes. the road. That we're, that we're, it's just what you're doing today. Yes. And it's this long process of trial and error. Yeah, it's just this. It's just this. I, um, I really enjoyed, I don't know if you've had a chance to read, but Michael Gunger's book, uh, he wrote a book called called this actually i don't know what but it's going on my list it's absolutely beautiful i mean he says right at the start of the book from the very beginning we are unsatisfied with this and so we imagine a that yeah and then he goes on to say and even when we get that it never quite satisfies like we want it to (laughs) there's something about realizing that this is this that this is the moment and how we are now in this moment on the road in the new landscape how we serve here is how we mature in service. Exactly. Moment, 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 and not fully knowing where you're going. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Not fully knowing where we're going. Oh man, you know, that's gonna that's gonna terrify people because I think, man, my wife and I laugh about this, but 
I always say I'm not someone who crosses a bridge when he gets to it. I build 15 bridges and then choose which one when I get there. <laughs> like that's my that's my lifestyle. Um, so for me, this idea that you can't you can't build the bridges because you've no idea if there's even a crossing. You've no idea what it looks like. It's just it's so petrifying, but also is a sign of the maturing that all of us as followers of Christ want for ourselves to be able to serve in this moment in this moment yeah alexander john i just want to say thank you for your time this morning you are like all of us in a strange place at a strange time and you have got a lot on your plate with uh, the retreat that you're leading and all those things so i want to say a huge thank you for giving up this time to come and talk um because it has been as always uh, such a joy and a treat and a privilege and a blessing to to get to spend any time with you in this way um, there's a prayer in the book um, from Jan L. Richardson. It's called the Wilderness Prayer. Ah. I am not asking you to take this wilderness from me, to remove this place of starkness, where I come to know the wildness within me, where I learn to call the names of the ravenous beasts that pace inside me, to finger the brambles that snake through my veins, to taste the thirst that tugs at my tongue. But send me tough angels, sweet wine, strong bread just enough no better words to end this this hour matt and uh thank you for bringing jan's words to us and thank you for this hour i want to say a huge thank you again because it has just been so helpful and as all of us try to figure out this moment your wisdom and your words and the way you articulate some of these remarkable transformational truths i know are going to have a huge impact on all those who listen as they have had a huge impact on me this morning so from the bottom of my heart a very sincere thank you for doing this it has been a huge pleasure likewise my honor <laughs>